0: Hey there, everybody. Thank you so very much for stopping by TLC Presents Todd Versations. We are super pumped you're here with us again today. We've got a great guest. We've got a great conversation. We have a great friend of ours here sharing with us. Please give it up and welcome Jackie Bowen, the Executive Director of the Clean Label Project. Jackie!
1: Welcome. That's so good. Thank you. It's so good to see you.
0: I am stoked that you're here. It's nice to be seen on the video screen. be nice to be in public, but we'll get there. We're eventually we're getting there we're getting, there. We're getting there
1: yes matter of time but it will happen
0: i do like how COVID ended at eleven fifty nine on a tuesday though i thought that was pretty epic i thought that was amazing i don't know how they pulled that off Bam! it was over. All...
1: had to be before hump day yes <laughs>
0: have to be before hump day exactly right so let's dive in i'm really excited that you're here i love what you guys are about i love what you're doing um you know, I, I stand on this pulpit all the time and talk about driving positive costs into food. And I believe what you guys are doing exemplify that. I believe you're about that. I believe the conversations that you guys are creating um, lift the conversation of food up. Um, I think it's so important that we do elevate that conversation. I think we need to realize the effects that we have about always looking at driving cost out and becoming cheaper and the lowest price and everything else because it does have ramifications that I think we need to pay attention to. And I'm hoping today we can touch on some of that and uh, share with people the good work you're doing. So to start it off, if you're ready, I'm ready, I'm hot, I'm fired up, let's do it. <sighs> let's what do the it. hell, what is the Clean Label Project? Share with us, what is it?
1: Yeah, so, so at, its, at its core, so Clean Label Project, we're a national nonprofit with the mission to bring truth and transparency to consumer product labeling. So at its core, let's be honest, marketing departments do a really effective job at selling comfort and security. I mean, Todd, walk into any grocery store, I want you to find me one product, just one, that on the product packaging, it says, eh, this product is entirely meh. Frankly, it doesn't taste very good. It's a little bit overpriced. And listen, we had to do a larger production run in order to get our margins. We had to use the BPA lining in order to extend that shelf life. But listen, we made our margins. Little endocrine disrupting chemicals never hurt anybody. All products say they're full of nothing but wholesome goodness, and that's where data and science separate fact from fiction. So what Um, we do at Clean Label Project is in analytical chemistry, we trust. Um, So at its core, we go into the marketplace, we purchase top-selling products, and we test them for the true contents of what's inside. For the most part, the food safety regulatory fabric in America is focused on microbiological contaminants, E. coli, salmonella, listeria. What we care about? heavy metals, pesticides, plastics, things that are linked to chronic disease like cancer and fertility. Overall, we're looking to change the definition of food and consumer product safety with a long-term view on environmental and public health.
0: Right. I love it. I absolutely love it. So what was your motivation to do this? I mean, how'd you guys get started?
1: Yeah. And so Todd, as you as you know, and we go way back from my days at QAI, of which, you know, the thing is, it's like I'm a huge personal and professional fan of certified organic, non-GMO project. I believe right. that consumers having access to more information is always going to be better than less. But it's been interesting because over the past several years, what I've seen is this proliferation of, you see these markers of quality on pack, but then what you see hit mainstream media are things like, Levels of glyphosate in America's best selling breakfast cereal, levels of BPA leaching from America's favorite sparkling waters and the packaging into the finished product, you know, Mm -hmm. levels of heavy metals and baby food. The kicker is that these products are largely compliant in the court of law court of right. public opinion, it's a different story. So the way I kind of view the world is what we have is a growing divide between the court of law and the court of public op- opinion. Complying with the court of law when it comes to kind of like brands and com- you know kind of food safety, I view that as table stakes. I mean, let's be honest, nobody's gonna say, congratulations for not necessitating a recall today. Like that's not, that's not the goal. When you shift your true north into what consumers perceive mm-hmm. quality and safety to be, right. that's the true north and especially for brands, it's a matter of that's where you get consumer trust. That's where you get repeat purchases. And that's where you also can command a price premium because you're aligning with what it is that consumers want. It's not about minimum expectations anymore.
0: Right. Well, you know, I I say this all the time. Consumers in a lot of ways are sheep looking for a shepherd, right? They're going to go to the shiniest penny. I mean, if somebody can invent, you know, back in my day being a kid, you can invent the pet rock and become a multimillionaire off of selling a rock. Yeah. It speaks to that narrative a little bit. Yeah. And People are very easy, you know, they want people to do the heavy lifting for them, right? They want, they expect the brands that they're buying have already done all this due diligence, mm-hmm. all this heavy lifting, everything's perfectly fine. Yeah. Words like all natural, sustainable, even the word local. It's like, I, it's it, it, though it's easy to define local in some ways, what does it actually mean? Yeah. And so I I like where you're heading with what you presented about really changing that narrative and, and mm-hmm. putting kind of a face to things now. So- I, I love that. So in the science world, right, you live in a world of peer review, you know, you research, then you get it reviewed, then you get it published, right? That's part of the, I mean, that's just kind of the way the process works. Yep. Um, and I know that being peer reviewed is extremely important, right? So I want to touch on that a little bit, because I think mm-hmm. that's an area that is very easy for people to pick on folks that are sticking their neck out like you guys mm-hmm. are, right? Yes. I mean, they can, right? It's really easy, you know, yes. if you look at some of the things that are out there, if you say blue, somebody very easily can write a story that says red, because that's just the way that this system yes. works. Yes. So how do you manage the science behind what you guys are pulling off and what you're trying to do?
1: Yeah, for sure. So let's say a few things. In terms of the way that Clean Label Project, the way that we approach our studies, traditionally mm-hmm. for the most part, this is what we do, is I use a concept that I call um, simulating the consumer shopping experience. So what that basically means is that when I do a study, I go into mm-hmm. the marketplace and I purchase the product. So literally, I go to the grocery store, literal or proverbial grocery store, whether it's online or in person, I purchase the products off grocery store shelves, just like any consumer would. Right. The only difference is that I take these products to a third party analytical chemistry lab for testing. So rather than trusting any of the labeling, you know, and I I get my lists through things of like the amazon.com bestsellers list, Mm -hmm. target.com, walmart.com, IRI, Mm -hmm. Nielsen, these different sources of inspiration. Mm -hmm. So then what happens is we will like, we'll have these products tested. And the thing that's so amazing kind of clean label project special sauce is this concept of benchmarked testing. So the -hmm. thing is, it's not just testing one product. It's like when you test hundreds of products, then you amass thousands of data points. And when you have thousands of data points, it allows you to kind of separate, you know, the good, you see the good, the bad, the ugly, you see, of Mm -hmm. course, the means, the medians, the averages. I'm personally a huge fan of looking at these statistical outliers of the ones that are like, whoa, that's a crazy result. That's completely uncharacteristic of this category, or being able to say, there's, you know, only seven brands in the top 121 selling protein powders that, you know, test positive for glyphosate. Like that, like clearly there's a major anomaly within that supply chain. So it's one where I like looking at big data through that lens. The thing is, it's like I'm, from a consumer advocacy perspective, Mm -hmm. I really, and a lot of the work with the other amazing nonprofits that Clean Label Project has a coalition with, and that we collaborate with, is the benefits of consumer investigative reports allows allows consumer advocacy organizations to get to market with information immediately. In other words, you drop a report into, you know, whether it's baby food, protein powder, you know, supplements, pet food, whatever it happens to be. And tomorrow consumers are able to make a different, make a choice, a different choice in what they provide for their families. When you go through scientific peer review, it can take months, arguably years, to finish, the process, to finish the process. Sure. Because academic peer review literally gets sent to a committee of experts that chew it up, spit it out, and make you revise it, and then go right, back right. to the, go back to the table again. So in the case of for us, it's one when we see some really interesting, really novel information, we will take it all the way through peer review to make sure that we get it of like, no, this is going to go in the scientific journals because this is new, important information that can drive policy reform.
0: Wow. That's a hell of a good answer. Thank you. You're welcome. So I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down a trail and I'm, you know, because, well, I, because I can, I got my name behind me on the backdrop. I got the microphone. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, But I'm very interested in heavy metals and what's going on in heavy metals and food. So I'm going to get a little more specific, if you don't mind, because I just think this topic and and I've got some stuff I want to present back to you for some thoughts and Mm -hmm. get you on because I know where your brain's at with baby food and and, um, you know, what you guys have posted, what you're doing. But I I really want to get down to the weeds a little bit because I don't think that people necessarily get the correlation of what you all are doing why you're doing it. You know what I mean? It's just like we, we, we go through our day at the grocery mm. store and we just don't think this deeply. Yeah. And I hope that we can uplift that conversation by just tackling this one kind of heavy subject, but yeah. a little more detail to kind of get people's brains totally. wrapped around like, holy crap, <laughs> we need to stop and pause yep. and start thinking again about my mantra of driving positive cost into food. Definitely, Definitely. So how do heavy metals end up in food?
1: well a few different ways so the first would be and i'm remiss not to say is that heavy metals so when i say heavy metals what i'm referring to are things like our total arsenic cadmium lead mercury these are things when you're kicking it old school back in middle school and you saw the periodic table of elements they were on there okay right so these are they are naturally occurring in the earth's crust okay so there is some heavy metals that are naturally occurring sure it's more so interesting is the human causes that contribute to even more and exacerbate the problem. Those would be things like mining, fracking, industrial agriculture, the use of um, different types of wastewater as irrigation, depending on the origins of that wastewater. All of these things can take and kind of concentrate the heavy metals. And then what happens is that it's it's literally because of this pollution that these heavy metals end up in the air, the water, and the soil. In the absence of federal policy that requires brands to pay attention to things like heavy metals, right. undoubtedly these will end up in finished products. So the way I always like to look at it is that the food safety, regulatory fabric in America is focused on like the E. coli, salmonella, listeria, things you hear about in burrito restaurants, salad mix, recalls, chicken, that type of thing. But right. you know, Todd, when was the last time you heard someone say, Oh, oh, God, I should not have eaten that potato salad at yesterday afternoon's potluck. I think I woke up with cancer says nobody ever. Right. Right. Because the thing is, it can take years, even decades to manifest itself in chronic disease. Right. On. When traditional food safety is like, no, you'll you'll feel not good within 24 to 72 hours you know, stomach ache, vomiting, diarrhea, sometimes worse. But the thing is this long-term view is what's not being paid attention to. So when it comes to the origins of this stuff, heavy metals largely because of pollution. And the thing is even domestically, you know, given the globalization of the food supply, even Mm -hmm. if we had the most progressive kind of environmental policy here in the U S given our reliance on imports, unless these same philosophies are, are also like expected abroad, these foods, as well as these origins, as well as the contaminants, are destined to enter US shores and therefore into our food supply.
0: Well, there you go, folks. I told you this is worth talking about. So let's I want to get a little bit deeper and yeah. and you know, talk about the, the you know, not to pick on, but to talk about what the federal government's kind of up to on mm-hmm. stuff. And and I want, if you could, can you give us just a little flavor on the food safety? food safety regulatory system in America, kind of like what it is and and just give us your perspective of it.
1: Sure. So like we talked about, it's one where FDA, typically we talk about microbial contaminations, pathogens, those types of things. USDA also has a robust program around food safety related to um, kind of like animal protein-based products. Um, The thing that's interesting is that for the most part, you see things of like the Global Food Safety Initiative, um, Food Safety Modernization Act, all of which have elements of caring about things like contaminants. But it wasn't until recently with this whole, these investigations have been taking place within baby food of the whole thing of paying attention to heavy metals. It's interesting. And I always like drawing parallels is that it's it's crazy. It wasn't until the 1980s that smoking was banned on, on airplanes. Right. In fact, in the 1950s, it was one where cigarette smoking was encouraged for doctors to reduce anxiety. It was encouraged for pregnant women to reduce anxiety and weight gain. Now, right. it was one where over time they saw a correlation between things like, oh, you know, Uh, premature labor or low birth weight or links between smoking and lung cancer. And the thing is, it wasn't wasn't that the reports weren't out, that the science wasn't out. It just took a longer time for it to manifest itself into regulatory policy in order to kind of set the different regulations we have in place today. The same thing stands when we're talking about heavy metals, is you have the FDA, the EPA, American Academy of Pediatrics, American Medical Association, the World Health Organization, the Center of Disease Control, all saying there's no safe level of lead. In fact, when we're talking about lead and exposure for children, it contributes to a decrease in IQ, an increase in hyperactivity, an increase in criminal mindset, and a decrease in upward social mobility potential, but yet lead is regulated within the water supply, but to date, not regulated within our domestic food supply. It's not because right. the jury is out. It just has not yet manifested itself into public policy, but it doesn't mean that as concerned consumers as well as progressive brands. We can't implement provisions to minimize risk and secure a really great supply chain now in anticipation of the inevitable.
0: Well, and, and, Thank you for, thank you for teeing up where I'm heading next. Cause that was beautiful because <laughs> I got into the weeds a little bit about this because, uh, you know, I, 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 I hate to say it like this, but you don't know what you don't know. Right. Mm. And then all of a sudden I started getting into a little deeper dive. I read something and that led to something else. And, you know, now I'm down this rabbit hole going literally like, Holy shit, what are we doing yeah. here? And I want to share this with everybody, because this is, I think, super important, um, to frame this part up, because I think it t- dovetails exactly with what you said, but th- this is this is information out of the U.S. House Committee on Oversight. So th- this isn't something I'm just winging. What they talk about, how the government report talks about how baby foods are tainted with dangerous levels of arsenic, lead, cadmium, and mercury, and some baby foods have as much as 129 parts per billion of arsenic, 352 parts of lead, and two parts of mercury. Um, which is interesting when you go back talking about the bottled water, and this is what blew me away, is that the FDA actually has um, regulations about bottled water. That bottled water can only have like 10 parts per billion of inorganic Mm -hmm. arsenic in it, right? Mm -hmm. But yet, so I, I say that because I want to say this sentence, which I'm not sure people actually realize, is that we regulate bottled water, but it turns out there's no laws or regulations on heavy metals in baby food. Yeah, I, I, help me. I mean, I believe me. I'm not done on my tangent. I still got a couple more points <laughs> I want to read. But help me understand how the hell we get this far down the trail and go? Oh, we almost like we forgot. It just it kills me. So the FDA and I'll go a little farther. The FDA and the World Health Organization talk about that. Numerous studies have found that exposure to high levels of heavy metal can contribute to autism and ADHD in children. And so I went on a little bit deeper down another rabbit hole and I started pulling up some information that I got from a study that Blue Cross and Blue Shield did in 2019. In the past eight years, ADHD diagnosis have climbed more than 30% in the United States. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at, you know, again, back to my pulpit of driving positive costs into food. These conversations are so overdue and need to be so Mm -hmm. elevated so quickly because Mm -hmm. we are never going to feed the the people that are coming, whether, you know, whether we produce them on this planet or they're coming on spaceships, which by the way, I fully believe they are coming on spaceships, but that's another podcast we'll do another time. But if we don't make positive changes, the problems that we're creating by ignoring facts are going to cause us to increase our Cost of healthcare. It's going to cost us so much more from an infrastructure standpoint. It absolutely just blows my mind. So, with my pulpit over with, and you teed me up beforehand, mm-hmm. please, please, please share with us in great detail about the Baby Food Safety Act, twenty twenty one. Please, because sure. I think this is so important.
1: Oh, it was uh, no, and it's and it's definitely a step in the right direction. So, the Baby Food Safety Act uh it was just published this this past march so it hasn't kind of passed through it hasn't turned into regulation yet but kind of the impetus for it is Clean cleanable project we published our study in 2018 other amazing organizations, including Consumer Reports, have published studies on levels of heavy metals in baby food. Um, Healthy Babies Bright Future has published it. And then most recently, there is a congressional investigation, given all of this attention being paid to heavy metals. And I really like to think of kind of consumer advocacy organizations like Clean Label Project kind of as the canary in the cold mine of like, eh, something smells funny, like there, there's something weird over here, like, hey, there's something weird over here, you know, we should, we should probably pay attention. Like right. lead, lead is bad. Uh, So it was, it was one where, um you know, this, this investigative report came out and was interesting because I didn't even realize it at the time I was fielding different clean label project gets all kinds of inquiries from retailers, regulators, state regulators, national regulators all the time, as well as consumers through our info at email address, you know, info at cleanlabelproject.org, right. asking questions, different types of things like that. And so I was actually fielding requests at the time from different people who at the time I didn't realize that they were staffers um, for some of these, you know, for some of these uh, congressmen, congresswomen that were, you know, right. supporting this this bill about clean naval projects science and the investigation and that we had completed. Um, so the whole Baby Food Safety Act is interesting because what it does is it sets uh, maximum tolerance levels for various heavy metals. These would be things of like your total arsenic, cadmium, lead and mercury. A um, little bit different uh, if it's a little bit a higher allowances. It, so it's 10 parts per billion for each mercury down to two. High, A little bit higher tolerances for cereal based products. What's interesting and what I really like is it's a step in the right direction. It takes takes a, um, you know, it's the first time that you really see, uh, you know, putting your toe in the water, so to speak, to set these maximum contaminant levels. The thing that I look at the Baby Food Safety Act is that there's a few things that have to happen is, you know, the thing I worry about is, are we putting the you know, proverbial cart before the horse in the fact that, you know, I look at it as we can set these maximums for, we can set these maximums within baby food. But the reality we have to look at is, you know, garbage in equals garbage out. You know, we have to have, we have to make sure that it's like, is the supply chain able to yield products that can meet these strict requirements? These, these requirements, they're low. You know, it's one where it's like, you know, I've see, I've seen thousands, if not tens of thousands of baby food test reports. And literally you will see, you know, this is saying 10, 15 as the maximums. I've seen arsenic levels North of 700 parts per billion. So literally magnitudes higher. Um, And so when I look at it, we've got to make sure that we've got the ingredient supply that can yield compliant test results. And not only that, I go back to it and let's be honest. There's farmers aren't out there peppering their their fields with like no. with these heavy metals. The thing is at the end of the day it's one where it's like, you know, again, garbage in equals garbage out. Do we have the environmental policy to support and nurture good soil quality? right? Mm -hmm. Because it's one where that's where these heavy metals are because of pollution. And so along those lines, it's one where do we have the environmental policy to support the agriculture with the agriculture that can then support the baby food industry. So it's one where I look at it as like, you know, we're going to have to feed our babies. The thing we've got to recognize is have we teed up the supply chain in order to make this, to make it successful? And that I'm not, that I'm not sure of yet. The other thing I also like making sure of, which is A reality that we have to think about is, you know, I'm firmly, but I'm a firm believer that there's no such thing as like a nutritious poison. But the thing is like, what I don't want to do is that we want to make sure that when it comes to heavy metals, that we also want high nutritional density. The first thousand days of life are critically important to long-term health and wellness of a child. It's the window of opportunity where optimum brain and immune system are developed. And so it's one where it's like, it's not just about avoidance of the bad stuff. It's more of the good stuff, the vitamins, the minerals. What I don't want to do is I don't want to see us because of this book, because of this program incentivize synthetics, right? right? Because if something is not actually, if it's not actually a whole food and it's something that's laboratory created, it's one where it's like, yep, you can absolutely engineer uh heavy metals out, pesticides out and in the process of doing so engineer vitamins and minerals out. And so I want to make sure that we kind of don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We sure. don't throw the vitamins and minerals out with the heavy metals.
0: Well, I mean, look, nobody's ever going to eat French fries and drink a diet soda and, and think they cancel each other out, right? It just doesn't work <laughs> exactly. that way. It just doesn't work. For sure. But, but you know, some of this and truthfully, and let's let's just be totally frank and totally transparent. Totally, some of this is just really bad, crappy food policy. Some of this yes. is just really allowing, you know, I, I believe so much is revolves around money mm. more than common sense when it comes yes. to our food. And I think that, you know, it, it blows my mind because we're seeing it now. Right. We're seeing it now. Like I remember as a kid when Teflon came out, right. The Teflon mm. pans, it was like the biggest rage ever. Right. Yep. I mean, I, you know, and now it's like, well, yeah, that wasn't that great. You know? And and, and and I think we have to be smarter about what we're doing. And when we talk about putting something into our body and something that's going to sustain life, especially yes. with the baby. Yes. How, how do we even get to the point of in 2021, we are just now having this conversation. It flabbergast. me.
1: Uh, it's it's cra- so it's, frustrating. It's it's crazy, right? Like why did it why has it taken so long? And the thing is, let's be honest, it's one where it's like just because we've got a baby food safety act does not mean that it has been it has been implemented. The FDA has has looked at it and they've they've got a 5 to 7 year process that they're looking at for implementation of this thing. So it's one where it's like this type of reform isn't coming anytime soon. So you've got babies that are probably, you know, in diapers right now that, you know, they're going to be entering middle school by the time that, you know, by the time that this actually gets implemented where families want to take action now. And the thing is, there are, there are things that you can, you can do to make sure to minimize, um, you know, your child and your family's exposure. But, you know, I think how it has taken this long is that you know, I look at it as that the food system is fundamentally flawed in that it's short sighted, you know, you can't necessarily say you can look at something just like when you think about, you know, if you get an you know, upset stomach or anyone who has unfortunately suffered from kind sure. of like some type of foodborne illness from a restaurant, you know, and if you have to talk to the health department, they look to trace back over, Well, what did you eat? Where did you eat the past couple of days? Let's figure out your meals, where are their common denominators, that type of thing in order to triangulate back to the source. Right. We don't have that same luxury. We're talking about heavy metals, pesticides, and plastics. In that type of case, it's one where we're exposed to low levels every single day with every single meal. And it takes years, even decades to manifest itself in chronic disease. So it's not one where you can kind of pinpoint the exposure. It's just consistent exposure over time. And the thing is, you know, so along those lines, I look at it as that's where we've fallen short is that, you know, the FDA has policies that puts the onus on brands um, as part of the it's called the looking at preventive controls as part of the right. Food Safety Modernization Act, the onus is on brands to make sure that they do their diligence on potential chemical uh, as well as biological contaminants within their food supply that could result in adverse health effects. That includes things like heavy metals. But for the most part, you know, within everyone that lives in the food safety world, when people think of their HACCP program, they're thinking of your traditional biological, chemical, and physical contaminants, right. your E. coli, salmon, and listeria, and rarely do you see a conversation around heavy metals or pesticide come up within a HACCP program?
0: Well, welcome to today's Toddversations, kids, because this is what we're talking about, because it's super, super important. Yeah. yeah. You know, we have, to, we have to make changes. And the only way we're going to make changes is by having frank, open, honest, thoughtful conversation about making change so people understand, because I guarantee you there's people that are going to hear this and go, why? What? Holy shit. I had no idea. Yeah, it's so going to sure. happen. It's and so I think true. it's really important. And hopefully we can, you know, rally the troops and get this conversation moving and work within our system to try to elevate this conversation and get it moving forward. Thank Absolutely. you for getting into the weeds with me on that. I feel it's yeah. such an important subject. And I think it's just such a great way to uplift what you guys are doing and really make it very real, very quickly for everybody about the work that you're doing. I want to get a little bit into some of the other products you're working with as well, because I think they're worthy of our time and our energy and conversation. Mm-hmm. So one of the areas I know you guys are very deeply involved in, and I think is great because I think it's you know, it, it's the family friend, the family member type mm. of deal. But you guys are really deep into pet food yes. and talking about what's going on with with, yes. with our pets. And I'd love for you just to touch a little bit on what you're doing there because I think yes. it's just really cool.
1: Definitely. So when it comes to pet food, over 95% of families consider their pets. You know, part of their family. I know that Mm -hmm. I do. I've got two rescue German short hair pointers, and I love them to bits and the thing is what you've seen over the past several years. And this is this humanization of the pet food category different kinds of claims on pack and these beautiful packaging that shows these lovely cows bounding through these fields of gold and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And again, it goes back to what does Killing Label Project do? It's about, you know, looking past the marketing. It's about revealing mm-hmm. the true contents of what's inside. So we did conduct an investigation to true contents of some of, of America's best-selling pet foods. And it was crazy. You know, the thing is, for the most part, you know, when you think about the different you know protein sources of, of pet food, uh, it's interesting because what we what we buy when we go to the grocery store and you look in like the seafood case or in the meat case um, is a lot different than ones, what ends up in, in pet food. There's a sure. reason why pet food is the price that it is and it can be shelf stable and those types of things. And what you see are magnitudes higher of, of heavy metals. And what's so interesting about the pet food category is it's one where it's like, it's regulated by, by a group called AFCO, which is kind of like, you know, the default where FDA has kind of kicked pet food safety over to AFCO. And they kind of look at it as, you you know, your pet, they look at it as companion animals, but they're kind of regulated under AFCO, which also regulates animal feed, of which I Mm -hmm. like to think that, you know, my little Huck and Charlie are a little bit different than, you know, a, a broiler chicken that's only going to live, you know, for for a few months. Versus your companion animal, you want them around for a really long time. Right. Um. So what we the thing is also when you look at pet food is remember, unlike us, they eat the same thing two to three times a day every day of their life unless you mix it up a little bit. And so when it comes to pet food and you see these high levels of heavy metals, high levels of pesticides, and even plastics, it's one where it ends up being really concerning. Um. Especially when you look at the, the, the the increase in recent years of cancer diagnosis in pets, coupled with the whole way that the pet food industry has been kind of shifting their labeling to really speak to those, those consumer sentiments. The reason why we look at our pets as part of the family.
0: Right. Well, again, they lean hard into all natural and some of these buzzwords that, you know, absolutely. They're they're pretty unsubstantiated, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was I was fascinated by that. Thank you for sharing. Another area too that I think is really interesting that a lot of people are talking about that is, um, you know, literally growing like a weed. A little play on word there. Wait for it, uh, is the (laughs) CBD market, right? Um, Because the CBD thing is literally blowing up. But CBD works, right? I mean, say what you want, you know, it 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 is proving that it is it is valuable. uh, commodity and certainly a lot of people getting into it so can you talk a little bit about what you guys feel with cbd because yes. that because that is also off the rails too because there's a lot of cbd products that suck so
1: true so true yeah. you're absolutely you're absolutely correct and, and i'll tell you the reasons i'll tell you all the reasons why